This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Robin James, a philosopher and music scholar. This episode is about the politics of chill. You may have noticed that music has been sounding more chilled out recently, with softer voices, slower tempos, and fewer instruments. From famous artists like Taylor Swift, to background music for working and studying to, chill vibes are all around us. But Robin James argues that chill isn't just a style, it also has political implications. Chill music creates a mood that helps us be more effective at work, allowing us to manage our state of mind for maximum productivity even as our working lives become ever more precarious. Robin James, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. So we are going to talk about the politics of chill music. So I guess a, f- a kind of initial question that I have is, is yeah, what what is this quote unquote chill when it comes to pop music? Sure. Um, so this trend towards chill is part of a broader pop culture trend, but since I'm a scholar, a music scholar, I study it in music. And it sort of has its roots in a couple different things. Um, one of the uh, roots is in the sort of pendulum swing away from early 2010s maximalism, right? So you think early 2010s, you think Skrillex, LMFAO, very, you know, YOLO maximalism was the trend. <laughs> Okay, like loud, lots of instruments, fast. Yeah, yeah. So like really bro-y electronic dance music. Okay. (laughs) Um, Think if like a a hard rock aesthetic was translated into electronic dance music terms. Okay, so that's the background to the emergence of chill? So chill emerged in the pendulum swing away from that. Right. So in pop culture, you often get, you know, skinny jeans and then bell bottoms just because capitalism needs to sell you new stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So in the early 2010s, the trend was maximalism in pop music. And then around the middle of the decade, the pendulum started swinging back away from that maximalism. Um, First, you had kind of tropical house. So Justin Bieber's Sorry is an example of that kind of tropically inflected lighter dance music is it too late now to say sorry cuz i'm missing more than just your body but then um this intersects with one of the other sort of roots of the chill aesthetic which is spotify so spotify uh and jen pelly uh the music journalist has done a lot of research on this and published it in the baffler Jen Pelly has found that um, Spotify has actually invested in artists who create a certain kind of low-key, almost easy listening music for the 21st century sound. So this chill style, one of the ways it emerged was Spotify, the like music streaming company, paying people to create these kind of like more like chill out type styles of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Spotify wants two things. It wants people to keep listening, right? And one of the ways it does that is is to just kind of create inoffensive, mildly entertaining background music that you just have on while you're sitting at your computer 
doing whatever, you know, working or doom scrolling or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, either one. <laughs> Maybe both at once. Yeah. But Spotify also, its other audience is advertisers, right? And so Pelly argues that part of this chill sound uh, emerged because Spotify wants sort of largely inoffensive music. So users will be in a generally good mood when they hear these advertisements and associate the good mood that the music has put them in with the brands being advertised. So Wow, that's so cynical, but I, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, there are sort of cynical reasons for why this sound kind of emerged when it did. Another sort of manifestation of chill is a kind of, so there's, several YouTube streaming channels that do lo-fi beats, right? So it's kind of like um, very minimal percussion under smooth jazz. Chilled Cow is the, the channel that's, that's most popular, but that's kind of like, so these lo-fi steady beats are kind of a calm, minimal sound. Mm. Um, but so, and so, but that, at that point, it's still kind of like, you called it like Muzak. So this kind of like anonymous, generic music, but then does it filter from there into like pop music by people we've heard of? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think the most recent and clearest sort of chill single is Taylor Swift's Cardigan. It's a very mild, easy, muted percussion, and then just has a sort of soft vocal and some acoustic instruments on top of it. Vintage tea, brand new phone, high heels on, cobblestones. When you are young, they assume you know It's just kind of gentle easy contrast right it's not designed to sort of distract your attention right it's just creating a texture yeah so so is it kind of primarily like choices in the music um and in the kind of structure of the music that is making that kind of um yeah like texture rather than real sort of like builds and drops and that kind of thing yeah, yeah, it's both in the sort of compositional structure, right? So there's not large contrasts between sort of high energy sections and low energy sections. Um, there's no beats dropping. Um, but it's also in the choice of instruments, right? And in the mixing, Swift's voice is very forward in the mix, right? But she's not, um, it's a very sort of intimate delivery. She's not projecting. Yeah, even compared to like some of her other songs that I've heard, like her voice here sounds, well, yeah, like intimate in the way that you're saying more than her voice on other previous songs. And that's a presumably a deliberate choice. Yeah. So, so we've been using this word chill to describe this like mood of the music. Um, but chill is also a word that people use to describe the mood of people right? Like it's mm -hmm. like a mood you can have. And I'm wondering how those two are connected for you. Like does chill music produce chill people or chill moods in the listeners? Um, I think ideally, right? Like that's the whole reason why you listen to these lo-fi hip hop beats to study slash relax to, 
right? It's audio media that you use to sort of regulate your mood and affect, um, in this case, for maximum productivity, right? So like, oh, there's so much going on around. If I just regulate my audio environment, I can then regulate my, my affect and stay focused and be a good, productive worker for capitalism, right? You're not getting distracted by the pandemic or the attempted coup or... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, it sounds like you're not totally in favor of that. <laughs> Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, sure, it's fine to use music to help you sleep or regulate your mood, but there's been a sort of boom in these kinds of practices recently um, as we sort of expect people to be increasingly productive amid increasingly difficult working conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a tiny band band aid that you put over this bad situation, but like makes it briefly bearable. Right. So you get hip hop steady beats instead of like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem like a very good trade off. But... No. <laughs> <laughs> but the the use of music to manage productivity goes all the way back to to the industrial revolution. Um, the the original meaning of industrial music was music played in assembly lines to coordinate the movement of the workers and basically keep everyone in time. And, and this is just a sort of new articulation of that, right? Like we don't have assembly lines anymore so much. We have gig workers. Um, so you've used this phrase regulating affect. Can you spell that out a little bit more, What what you mean by that? Sure. It's basically just making sure your mood and overall comportment is the way that you want it to be for the activity and context you find yourself in the midst of, right? So um, if I am at a baseball game, not that I have been to one of those in forever, right? (laughs) But like you see, you see, um, uh, professional sports teams use music to regulate the affect of the people in the stadium, right? Or in the bleachers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And right? the cheerleaders they, as well. Yeah. Cause you want people to be amped up and loud and, and boisterous. Right. But um, you know, the, um, the music in your dentist office is much more toned down because people in dentist offices are notoriously nervous. So you want to calm people and reassure people. So it's um, music has long been used to sort of regulate people's moods and feelings. Um, and so that's what I mean by, by regulating affect. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, you've mentioned, you've mentioned kind of like capitalism and productivity um, as being kind of these like motivations behind like chill as a style yeah, is is are we imagining sort of um, the like bosses up in their offices like creating this music because they want workers to like work better? I don't think it's that intentional, right? But it's um, the way work and capitalism is structured today, right? This is the era of the gig economy, so most of us don't even have real bosses bosses, right? We're just independent contractors. So 
possibly working two or three different independent or freelance gigs, right? So we have to kind of be our own self-regulators, right? Oh, and, interesting. And so music is one way that we can self-regulate. Right. I think in particular, right, like if you think about, um, like I was thinking about the kind of music I would listen to when I'm like raking leaves or doing heavy sort of physical work, this is not that kind of music. Right. This music is designed for people sitting at their keyboards. Right. It's it's a particular kind of knowledge work. It's not manual labor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this this conversation has been making me think about my own gig labor. So I do translation and um, proofreading work for a German company and um, and actually like often when I do it, it, I put on some kind of music. Um, and I, I, I realized that actually I'd found the playlist that I wanted by typing into YouTube, like, chill funk. (laughs) And that's the one that's really been kind of like working for me for the last few months. And it's kind of uncanny to be like, oh, you've just helped me to really realize like this whole industry and sort of, um, you know, philosophy behind that choice that I made without even really thinking about the words I was typing in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it just shows like how pervasive this is in the culture, right? Like this is mm-hmm. not just something you hear on the top 40, but it's it's kind of a whole um I don't know what it, it more than a trend even right like this is a a sentiment that is widespread mm. in part because and what i'm trying to argue is that like this chill musical style emerged in response to concrete cultural needs or practices um mm. so it's part so of like that the gig economy and not having you know good healthcare and things like that right austerity yeah um yeah so um i guess okay yeah w- one one question that i have is like you know you you have these um very sort of big picture theories um that kind of connect these musical styles or, or moods with um these kind of political issues like the gig economy and and so on um and they seem to fit really well with these these songs that we've been discussing. And I'm kind of curious, like, which comes first for you, the theory or the music? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's really a chicken-egg paradox for me, right? I think songs are theories. And the way I would explain it is, like, I'm interested in the, the logics that organize our society, right? Like, patriarchy is a logic that organizes our society, And the reason why songs make sense to people who aren't experts in music is because songs are organized according to the same logics that organize everything else in society. So pop songs are a lot easier to study than society as a whole because pop songs are three minutes long. Yeah, that (laughs) helps. (laughs) Generally, right? Pop songs are helpful places to kind of really get a microscope on these these logics or structures that are otherwise everywhere in society, but perhaps harder to read because they're more diffuse and and large scale. Yeah. I I love that because one thing that I'm going to take away from this conversation is kind of 
you know, you can listen to a pop song, you can think about its composition or just kind of like the mood it puts you in. And or you can kind of connect that to these much bigger kind of social and political things um, and maybe understand them in a way that they'd be kind of ungraspably huge otherwise. But like um, thinking carefully about a song can kind of help you understand them. Yeah, it's kind of like a distilled version. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Robin James, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. It was a delight to chat. That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to two bonus clips, one in which Robin traces the politics of chill back to the hip-hop of recent decades, and another in which she discusses recent music trends that might already be replacing chill in our culture. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at How to Read Now. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscombe. With editorial assistance from me, Eleanor Roth Hessen, and from me, Abby Rooney. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening. <laughs>